Hey everyone, welcome to episode 96 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Be sure to listen to the full introduction as we have a lot to share and some freebies for you to win. This week's guest is Tucson, Arizona photographer Sean Parker. Sean is known for his amazing night photography, time-lapse photography, and desert landscape photography. Sean and I dove into so many awesome topics, I know you're going to enjoy this episode. I do have to apologize. For some reason, I had some issues um, in the audio on my end this week. I think my computer was running some extra tasks or something, and it was causing the audio to break up, but I tried to clean it up as best I can. Um, Anyways, also note, uh, there is some mild profanity on this week's show, so just you've been warned. Uh, so before we get started, I want to tell you about one of our patrons, Jason Matias, founder of The Art of Selling Art. You might remember him from episode 79, where we discussed the business of art, marketing, art fairs, and my personal favorite, finding your voice. Jason offers an incredible service through The Art of Selling Art. Artists are leveraging it to learn more about the business side of photography, such as learning how to sell to art collectors, a complete guide to art fairs, how to run a giveaway, and a lot more. This week, Jason and I are partnering to fully launch his Art of Selling Art service. For me, the most exciting part of this service is his Finding Your Voice workshop. It's an eight-week collaboration and a growth hack designed to take you from creating because you love it to creating what you love. When you enroll in the Art of Selling Art, you'll be automatically added to the never-before-seen workshop when it opens in a few weeks. We'll be talking about uh, the art of selling art over on our Facebook group for the podcast. Just search for F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen, and we'll be doing live chats over there. If you sign up for the art of selling art through those live chats and through the links we share in the liner notes for the podcast, you will automatically be added to his upcoming Finding Your Voice workshop, which is a $700 value. By using those links, you will also be supporting the podcast financially, And I think you'll be getting something extremely valuable in return. Also, you'll get a free copy of any bonus episodes of the podcast you want if you're not a Patreon supporter. Um, So yeah, check that out. Next, let me introduce you to another one of the podcast patrons, Anton Everine. He created an amazing luminosity masking panel called Arc Panel. Arc Panel focuses on simplicity and speed. I personally have tried it and I found it to be very fast and very intuitive, um, which is I think one of the biggest problems with luminosity masking panels, so check it out. Um, Arc Panel provides a 16-bit luminosity and saturation masks for darks, midtones, and zones with options to refine and apply them to any kind of adjustment layer. There's also a free tab with frequency separation, Orton effect, and dodge burn. Soon Anton will be releasing a version 2.0, which will have some speed improvements and a really cool new feature, color masks with full selection control. I can't wait. You can try it for free on arcpanel.averin.photo. That's A-R-C-P-A-N-E-L dot A-V-E-R-I-N dot photo. And as a thank you for listening to the whole intro, the first people to send me a direct message on Instagram about this week's episode will get a free copy of Arc Panel. Well, special thanks to our Patreon supporters and podcast producers. These incredible individuals contribute at the $20 a month level and higher over on our Patreon page. Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stenslin, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Jason Matias, Anton Everine, Laurie Berenson, David Kingham, William Nurse, Ken Dono, 
and Danny LeFrancois. All right, let's get to the show. All right, well, Sean Parker, man, it's awesome to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. I'm glad we got uh, a schedule figured out. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, <clears throat> I've i been a huge fan of yours for, God, probably since 2011. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, man, because uh, I feel like <clears throat> we kind of got to start around the same time, um, kind of when, you know, astrophotography was, was still kind of new. Yeah. Um, and people were kind of just like experimenting and dabbling and trying to figure out how to do it. And I remember um, seeing your stuff and just being really inspired by it. So, um, yeah, man, it's uh, it's really cool to have you on the, on the show. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to be here and talk about um, things. And it's crazy that you've been following me since 2011. I don't not a lot of people can say that because, you know, I, I, I started doing different things at 2011 than I'm doing now. So. Thanks for uh, tagging along, I guess. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, <clears throat> your body of work speaks for itself. I mean, you've it's quite prolific. Let's just say that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> so how the heck did you get started in all this? Because um, I took a little um, perusal at your about page, and um, it sounds like it's kind of a common story. Like you were in IT and things just exploded. So like, how did that shift happen? And like, what inspired you to just dive in? Well, yeah, so, you know, I was in IT, like, that's kind of what I like studied and um, went to a little bit of school for I actually didn't finish school, thank God, because I, I wouldn't be doing it. Uh, or, you know, doing what I studied for. But um, basically, you know, I've always been intrigued by the cosmos. And I was I started seeing all these like, you know, images that that Hubble, like, not only Hubble, but other people from Earth were taking. And it kind of inspired me to, you know, just go out and, and try to get it myself. You know, I was at a bar down the street called Sky Bar, and I was just looking at the moon through, through the telescope, and the astronomer had, like, his images on the TV kind of outside displaying, and I thought he was just showing us, you know, Hubble telescope images or, you know, stuff that NASA shot. And he told me that he actually photographed all of all these space objects with his Canon 20D at the time. And I was like, no way, like that's freaking <laughs> awesome. And I started, you know, I started like taking pictures of the moon through or with my iPhone through the telescope. And he's like, you know, if you want to do like some nebula stuff, uh, come out to the observatory sometime. I'll, I'll hook, hook you up. I'll you know, bring a camera and, you know, we'll just take photos on it. I'm like, heck yeah, dude, that sounds awesome. So basically I started spending all my free time and like a lot of my, <laughs> my weekends just out photographing uh, deep space through the telescope and started coming <laughs> to work all late and red eye. <laughs> I was up all night taking photos and uh, you know, once I started getting published and getting kind of known for my work, I, I just kind of gave up on my, my desk job. And I just said, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And, my employer at the time and I just agreed that it wasn't or I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really focused or passionate about fixing computers anymore. So I pursued, I, I spent all my savings and or I would say all of it, but I spent a lot of it in camera gear and uh, just 
pursued the whole you know freelance life and i'm so glad i did because my life is just so much better in general you know my outlook and uh my pers my perspective on things and <clears throat> that's crazy so like <clears throat> when you looking back like if 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 you were to go back and do it again like what advice would you have for yourself um like would you do it sooner <clears throat> would you spend less money would you spend more money would you approach it differently like well how would you do it i don't know i was very blessed to have friends who had um like the canon 5d mark ii at the time because like when i first got into it i was i was like super like budget i was i shot or i bought the canon t3i after borrowing my friend jordan's 40d for like six months and you know i i've I'm still impressed with the camera for what it what it was at the time, even though it was only crop censored. But you know, I learned a lot. I I found my style. I was able to get those nice low angles because of the 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 tilt and swivel screen on it at the time, huh. which I don't think any other camera had. And um, so I I don't know. I if I didn't have my friends who were so so generous with letting me borrow their gear, like when I needed like the higher end stuff, I probably would have bought like the 5D Mark II from the get go. Just because that camera really did well when it when it first came out, um, so I think that's probably the only thing I would change because everything else kind of worked out for me. So, <laughs> so how old were you when you decided to take a plunge? Um, so I started taking photos as a hobby in two thousand nine, so ten years ago. I'm thirty one now, so I would say wow. I started really getting serious when I was like twenty four, twenty five. Um, okay. I've been doing okay. been doing this professionally for I want to say four years now. So yeah, definitely like mid twenties is when I kind of found my my passion and my calling. I'd say. Yeah, and I, one thing I noticed about about you is that um, you had a a fairly meteoric. Um, I think that's a word, meteoric, <laughs> like a meteor. Meteor. Uh, you had a <laughs> meteoric rise um, in terms of like kind of you know being on the radar and then just exploding and like getting gigs and like just really taking off in your career so like what would you what are some of the things that you would attribute that success to um yeah it did it did really blow up and it still kind of is to be honest with you um <clears throat> i think facebook kind of got me i think I, I owe a lot of credit to facebook because my my facebook following default before all of their like algorithms and limits and paid to reach stuff uh happened i was getting like some crazy crazy follow like organic like actual like natural mm -hmm. organic reach and my my social media just blew up and i think that's how a lot of clients and you know publishers found me it was through was through facebook i got my first like smithsonian publication after like doing astrophotography for eight months <laughs> in my career Damn. so and, and they said they found like one of the editors found my work on Facebook and it was a perfect shot for the article that, that they were writing. And there you go. Like my first published article was in Smithsonian. And um, I, I think, I think Facebook, I owe a lot of credit to you. I wouldn't say that now, but <laughs> right, right, right. Definitely back then. Yeah. I mean, it seems like nowadays it's a lot more difficult to have that organic, um, I don't know. I've, I've seen it happen, but it seems like it's a lot more challenging now. I remember back in like 2012, it was a lot easier and now it's just gotten more difficult. Like if you were to start, if you were to start out now, 
in the current environment, what would that look like in terms of like trying to replicate your success? Like, how would you go about that? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> you know, everyone, everyone's shooting the night sky now and everyone's putting out some amazing stuff because, you know, the camera equipment can finally keep up with mm -hmm. the tech, uh, technical, um, or I guess like the, the theory of shooting, I guess. And, uh, I don't think I would be nearly as successful if I didn't start back then, you know, if I just started out now or even like a year or two ago, it would be a much more challenging. Yeah. Man, it's, it's crazy how saturated the market is now, but I think one of the things that I've noticed about you is that there's a lot of consistency in terms of the quality of your work and also like the themes of your work. Like, it seems like you stick to like, kind of your bread and butter but you kind of just keep notching it up over time and that seems to be working for you <laughs> yeah 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 and i you know i i constantly i'm trying to keep up with you know everyone too because everyone's just getting so good now because of all the all the resources out there um but I'm, i am sticking to my theme i i'm definitely getting more experimental <clears throat> i'm definitely doing a lot more challenging work like i don't think i was ever focused stacking right up until like a year ago so I'm I'm starting to really have fun with that. I'm getting I'm having a lot more fun with like tighter shots, like tighter panoramics at like 70 millimeters, and just doing some crazy, you know, crazy megapixel stuff that that way. And um, I think the market's keeping me on my toes, you know, because everyone's putting out such good stuff that I need to just keep it going and just you know have more fun with it and just you know be more supportive of everyone. Then you know I think a lot of people they don't. I don't know. They maybe because they think it's everyone's competition. They don't strive as well. I don't know, but I'm thinking that where was I going with this? <laughs> um, that uh, being being more community based is helping me grow too. Yeah, it does. I mean, sense. I think um, competition. I think sometimes gets a bad rap. I mean, I think sometimes it can yeah. motivate artists to kind of push the boundaries and. Um, try things that we maybe necessarily wouldn't have tried before, but in order to keep our competitive edge, we do things that sometimes, you know, sometimes people take it too far, but um, that's the nature of yeah. <laughs> when you combine artistry with competition, if that's how you're motivated. And obviously not everyone is motivated by competition, but, right. uh, and then obviously, I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, competition also can be, um, a negative thing like it can it can it can make people do some really like really shitty stuff to other artists and like you know the community and like say things that we don't mm -hmm. mean and things like that yeah and i think everyone likes to base their success over what other people are doing and as hard as that is not to do it it really can make you do dumb things and um kind of you know the community is so tight i, I want to say it's tight especially with a lot of landscape photographers like if you say one bad thing about one guy it's it's going to come around sooner or later and you don't want to do that you want to be supportive you want to um you know unless i don't know unless they did something personal to you, you keep it that way you know don't don't spread it out that this person i don't know <laughs> I, I, I like to i like to avoid drama so Smart. i I get along with everybody. <laughs> I wish I could say the yeah. same. I've gotten into some hot water over the last few years, but uh, I don't know. I I try to be I try to be really supportive as possible, and um, I think you know I'm I'm a really strong believer in the idea that high tide rises all ships. You know, like if you're doing well and I'm doing well and mm -hmm. that guy's doing well and that girl's doing well and 
I think I don't I don't think you can view it as a negative. I think it's it's all good. Yeah, I think it's just part of how how the market's going. You know, it's not I don't think it's anything personal. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, um, oh, shit. I was gonna ask you something. I forgot. Um, we'll get back to it. Um, so one of the things that I noticed when I went to your website is um, you dabble in a lot of different stuff. I mean, you're doing astrophotography, you're doing landscape photography, you're doing wedding photography, you're doing time lapse, you're doing weather chasing, storm chasing. Like you're like kind of like events, like you're you kind of just like a you're just doing it all. So like, I guess what is motivating you to 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 dip into so many different types of photography you know i think it for me it's the thrill of it i i love going on these road trips and catching like a tornado or i love just going to um australia or not australia iceland to catch the aurora there's like these different things i like capturing in different environments and you know mother nature is so diverse that it could be you could almost catch anything anywhere. And I think that's what keeps me going is just like the excitement of you're, you're not sure what you're going to get, you know, like you're going to fail and, or you're not going to get some things and you're going to learn from it in one way or another. Um, you know, I think failure is a good thing. I think going to Iceland and not seeing the Aurora is, <laughs> is a good life lesson and it'll make you want to go back. And then when you go back, you'll probably get things that you couldn't get the first trip. And um, I just find beauty in so many different things and I like, <clears throat> excuse me, I like capturing it and just sharing it because, you know, everyone likes different things and I like everything. So, <laughs> um, I will say I'm not much of a wedding photographer. I, I do weddings for friends. I do weddings for friends of friends. Um, I do unique weddings. Like I just had a, a star Wars, um, aero engineer <laughs> wedding, like which a nerd <laughs> wedding <laughs> recently <laughs> and, uh, it was probably the coolest wedding I've ever done because they had a cake that was a the size of a moon or a size of a like a big beach ball, but it was it was a moon, and then they put like uh, um, you know, it just looked like a moon, and it was an actual edible cake. It was really cool. And then after the ceremony, we went out and shot them underneath the Milky Way with like lightsabers, and like it was just so cool, you know, like that kind of stuff. I love doing. Yeah. It's just you know, it's themed. It's it's fun um so anything fun catch me photographing it because <laughs> that's what that's what i like to yeah, do it's funny so. you mention um <clears throat> shooting weddings and engagement shots because like uh when i i'd say maybe like two years after i really got into shooting night photos like back in like 2012 2013 um i had a few people approach me like saying they wanted me to do like engagement photos but like under the milky way and i was like yeah i can do that yeah. but then like I was so petrified of not delivering the, you know, the product like, oh, it could be bad weather or like, you know, like we have to pick very specific dates that we do this shoot because of the moon and all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. do you ever feel like, right. um, do you ever feel like you're, you're held back by some of like, like some of the things that you experience in doing landscape photography that are disappointing? Do you ever feel like those hinder you in terms of like, um, being unable to deliver um, with, you know, people. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's kind of why I stay away from people like portraits and stuff. It's because there's so many elements that have to come together to get the shot that you're envisioning as the artist. And yeah. um, that's why I kind of like, like honestly steer away, steer away from it. Um, like the shot that I was just talking about, we, uh, 
after the ceremony, it started raining. So our window <laughs> of like clear skies was delayed because of it. So we had to do a post wedding ceremony shoot on, mm. a, on a clear night. And it was at the end of the year. So the core of the Milky Way was like, you know, setting. So we didn't like the next week we could we couldn't do it. Right. So we made it work. We 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 found a day that clear skies and um it's always, you know, it's always a bummer when all the elements don't come together. But as long as you have a good, you know, some good people that you're shooting who are understanding, it, it it'll work some way or another, you know. I'm curious too, like um you do a lot of commercial work for like tourism groups and for brands and things like that. Like how have you found um, have you found it as a landscape and um, night photographer? Um, have you found being able to work with different brands and t- to deliver on those kind of products for people? Um, that's a good question. I a lot of brands won't work under underneath like the nightlife or like underneath the Milky Way or the night photography. So I strive with my photographer or my landscape side of that. Um, I I think people like my style because it captures uh, compositions in a different way. I don't know. I I was told I have a, a pretty unique eye, com- like compared to other landscape photographers. And nice. I, I think I think that kind of helps me with getting like these tourism jobs or something. Um, and there, it's not many. Like don't get me wrong. Don't don't talk me up too much because I've only done like maybe five or six, which is not that much compared to some of these other photographers. Um, but I think just capturing these brands. Like I did one with Narbox and uh, basically they wanted, they're like, Sean, like we want you to, you know, use it and just kind of film yourself in your natural environment of how you do it or how you would use it. And, you know, first thing I I did was um, hire my friend Andrew to film me out in, out in the desert, you know, (laughs) getting some nice Nice. Southwestern shots of it. And I think that's, that also helps because I, you know, the desert's my backyard and having a desert desert scene and, and certain brands and products could be appealing. For sure. So I think just me being located in the Southwest also helps with, with. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're in Tucson, right? Yeah. I live in Tucson. Um, from about March to October, I'm probably only here like two weeks of the month. <laughs> I, I'm traveling and doing workshops wow. or, uh, getting g- gigs for something else, you know? So it, I'm a uh, I'm single and I have a cat and that's those are my only <laughs> <laughs> my only priorities really. That's cool, man. I I feel like there's gonna so many people that are probably jealous about that, but um, I guess kind of where I was kind of trying to take this conversation about working with corporate clients and like that commercial side and the business side is like what what would you say to people that are kind of like glamorizing or fantasizing about, about that type of lifestyle? Like what are, what about that is difficult? Like what, what is the, what does it really look like day to day, month to month, week to week in terms of like, oh, yeah, I see. yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of the time it's, I have to approach them. It's one of those, like you pitch your, your media kit and like uh, what would be beneficial for both of, both of you, you know, you can't just say, well, because I have like a half million followers, I should have, give me everything for free, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, that's probably, <laughs> that probably would have worked like right? two years ago, but you really got to provide them something that's going to be beneficial. So it's, um, there's a lot of, a lot of rejections. I'll be honest. Like, you know, I, 
I'm actually going up to Scottsdale this weekend for a uh, for just like a little vacation, and I wanted to go to this really nice resort, and they had like this cosmic theme going on. So I was like, well, hey, I, I actually take pictures of um, you know astronomy related subjects in the night sky. I think I could really do some good work with you guys. What what can you like? How would you like to, to collaborate on something? And if you have a a budget, would you like to do something even bigger? And you know, one one discussion led to a bigger one, and that's kind of how that worked. Um, but my advice would just be just offer them something that a lot of people can't, um, or 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 maybe just not offering. So I don't know. I I still have a lot of lot of, lot of, a lot to learn. I don't have a lot of um, tourism jobs lined up mm -hmm. at the moment. So I've been, I've been lucky to been approached by by them in the past, which kind of makes it a little bit easier. Um, and for for local tourism, you know, just just find your local uh, your local office and just come like stop by, like talk to a, a marketing manager or an editor and say, hey, like this is what I'm doing in the city. Would you guys be interested in in a story or uh, any kind of images for licensing? Yeah. Sometimes you just gotta. Sometimes you really just gotta because they, you know, a lot of people get flooded with emails. It's the easiest way to show your digital profile, but try just going to the, going to the office you know, be old school and just try to connect with them in, in person. Yeah. I, I actually, <clears throat> when I moved here, I live in Durango, which is not too far from you um, in Southwest Colorado. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that when I first moved here, I just met with them and I was like, Hey, you guys like use some of my photos on your Instagram every once in a while. And I was wondering if you wanted to do any more collaborating and like, they gave me a free backpack and yeah, see? <laughs> like, and then it just like one thing led to another and they, they licensed a couple of my photographs. And then like they, we had a big forest fire here last summer and they really wanted to like try to push a different angle. And so they, tr they were going to hire me to, to go shoot like this other thing, but then it didn't work out cause it got closed cause of the fire. But yeah, like I feel like one of the things that's really tough, um for a working photographer like yourself is like how much time do you spend actually just sitting down and thinking about like strategically who to approach how to approach them like like what is your approach to that? like yeah, yeah like what is your hit rate like like do you i mean i'm sure you do you sit down and like think about like who do i want to approach and like what is your approach to the to that as a as a professional um well you gotta <clears throat> there's a couple of things you got to think about their like their annual budget you know a lot of a lot of these tourism companies already know what they're going to do next year by by the time january or february comes around so you got to time it right there um but if you're like approaching a brand um it just takes it doesn't take much it i mean it takes a lot of of i guess putting it all together and and you know constructing your email and making it sound appealing but a lot of brands like smaller brands smaller to medium-sized companies like they don't have they don't do the whole annual budget it's more like or they do but it's not as it doesn't have to go through like 20 different people right, to get approved, right. you know um so find find brands that you relate with find brands that will benefit from the photos you take of their product in the field and um just go from there i mean i I'll be honest, I, I hit up a lot of people and I barely hear back from half of them. So I don't 
I think it's just because their emails get flooded or I'm emailing the wrong email address. Um, you know, try LinkedIn. I was, I, I've got a couple through LinkedIn by just sending a personal message um, because, you know, those emails go through and yeah, I don't know. Does yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, still learning. So <laughs> I, as an artist, like, do you enjoy the business side of it or do you wish that it was like, more organic in terms of um like i just want to create art and like buy it from me <laughs> yeah i do wish it was more organic <laughs> yeah i wish it was more organic but i'm living in a small town even though tucson's like a million people but it's still a small town compared to like la or new york or <clears throat> where a lot of these brands are based and um it's just like you like you said earlier the market's saturated and it's I don't know what's next to be honest like what's how how are people going to stand out from each other when we're all kind of doing the same thing nowadays um but i, I spend a lot of time like you know figuring it out i guess i spend most of my days like answering emails or mm -hmm. thinking about what my next trip you know um i I, do, I will say the business side of it isn't the the most fun i i have <laughs> you know i had to hire an accountant and hire help just because <laughs> just so i can keep enjoying you know the the day-to-day -day life uh going out and shooting i i haven't i haven't taken a, a single photo in like a week that's how busy i am with with the admin the admi administration <laughs> administrative side of things right and i'm sure as someone who does workshops like you're spending a lot of time like organizing all that stuff as well yeah yeah there's a lot that goes into it more than people might think uh yeah so let's talk about that like if someone was like oh, i'm gonna just jump in and do workshops like what <laughs> what all is involved in 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 doing that as a photographer especially for those listening that you know i don't know like i was confronted i was laid off from my job um last year and i really did seriously contemplate like just going all out like you know workshops and everything and i didn't but like Cause, cause I'm like, cause when I sat down and started thinking about everything that went into it, I was like, no, I'm not, that's crazy. I'm not like, that's just not going to work for me. But like what all goes into that as a, as a leader? I don't know. I think you have to have that, that special touch. And I, I don't know if you do, if you do workshops or not. I think I heard on your last podcast that you do. Um, I used to like used very to, yeah. sparingly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know, if you, but I don't know how how many you did or what your experience is. But um, I think it you just have to have. I think what the the key ingredient is is how you your patience and your your teaching methods. I think um, I don't know. I I've heard so many so many bad stories about <laughs> bad bad workshop leaders who don't spend time with their clients. They just they're there for the money, and you can just tell. You know, they're not personable. They're not. Yeah, I've heard those stories too, man. Not, um, you know, I'm I'm still like every every workshop. I'm trying to improve. I I don't think I'm the best. I I I know I have a good track record, but I I'm still like sending out surveys. I'm still sending out um, discounts for you know. I'm I'm just I'm like, still learning. And oh no, I was just gonna say like discounts for like people that have been on a workshop before. Yeah, like my alumni discount and then also uh like like early bird discounts for news newsletter subscribers and um also it's gonna start giving discounts for people who help me clean up while I'm out in the right. field. Um, That's a good idea. And just stuff like that. Um yeah I got that idea from actually from Peter 
who I think had some questions for us on the on your little live thing. Oh, um, yeah, I remember reading that. Like, I think he doesn't he do something where like if you send him a picture of yourself picking up trash, that he'll give you a discount on a print sale. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. I think that's what it was. And um, I found I found this guy named Phil Monson or Phil Monson's who, awesome. Yeah, he was on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. was he? Yeah, cool. yeah. I'll have yeah, to look yeah. that episode. Um, I love his whole Leave It Better. Um, and I, I know him and Peter work together on some things, and uh, and that's how I found Phil is through Peter. So I I really like that idea, and I want to do more more with it because, I mean, I I constantly try to try to pick up trash when I'm out there, and if if I have a workshop group with me, we can pick up pick up even more. And, you know, I can give back. It's like, you know, got to keep, keep it going and giving back, you know? Yeah, so. dude, totally. It's so funny. You mentioned that. I, um, <laughs> uh, it's crazy. I, so for the last year, a couple, couple weekends now I've dedicated, um, there's about 10 photographers of, um, that I belong to We're we're trying to come up with, um, a way to solve some of these issues that we're seeing out in the field. Um, in terms of not only like trash, but also like um, just the impact that we're having as photographers um, on the natural environment um, over time in terms of like locations becoming popular. And then um, obviously like, you know, there's these unintended consequences that I think a lot of us don't think about. Like if you take a photograph of a, of a place that's very sensitive and then it becomes super well known and then you're excited about it and you want to share like your knowledge with people and then a bunch of people start going to that place and then it gets like trampled. Um, it just, you know, our impact as yeah. photographers, because we're sharing these beautiful locations, it's like a double-edged sword. So we're trying to figure that out. Um, so I'm curious, like as someone who does workshops, like, how have you seen how have you seen that manifest while you've been in the field um like have you noticed um different locations that you go to changing over time or have you noticed um the attitude of people that you're teaching change when after you after you teach them or kind of i'm really curious to hear what your view is on this particular subject yeah, um, so I do a lot of workshops, and internationally, I go to um, Iceland, Australia, uh, <laughs> uh, Norway soon, and um, a lot of my domestic workshops. I, I, you know, I always get permits and location approvals, and I've where I have seen it, where I have seen the impact the most is definitely Joshua Tree, and even in even in the news lately with the, after the shutdown, um, there's a lot of people who who aren't getting permits and who aren't doing these lawfully. And they're taking people like off the trail they're doing to get that, that shot and stuff. And I am like, I don't encourage it. I, I tell people to always stay on the trail. Um, and if, if you're going to go to a place that has like a very sacred location or hasn't been really claimed yet, um, keep it to yourself or only tell people who are respectful. Um, like I've, there's this place called Scorpius Arch. Have you heard of it? I have not actually. It's like a really unique uh, arch that's kind of not what it's not like the GPS's locations aren't known yet, and they're not like are they're known, but they're not only to people who have been told down the grapevine. Um, mm -hmm. And <laughs> for now, it's it's still in good hands. There's no, there's there's nothing like 
Uh, there's no damages to my knowledge. And I'm all about that. I, I don't advertise locations that are, that aren't public. Um, mm-hmm. I try to keep it, you know, I'm not trying to keep people from having fun. Like, you know, if, you're, if you want to go have fun and go in nature, support the national parks. There's a lot of activities you can do. Um, don't go to these caves that are, that are being, that haven't been, you know, advertised yet. Try to keep those secret as long as you can. And then by the time they become known, I think local tourism or landowners will put the, appro- the pr- appropriate trail to get to it and the appropriate rules will be put up. Um, does mm-hmm, that make sense? Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm rambling. It's definitely so. No, you're good, man. Um, I, ha- I had to chuckle a little when you said that it's it's safe and it's through the secret of the grapevine because I feel like that's one of the major counter arguments to the movement that we're trying to um, that we're going to launch. We're actually going to launch on Earth Day, okay. which I'm excited about. But we're trying to anticipate, you know, like what are some of the counter arguments that people have, and obviously. One of the main ones that we've heard over and over again from people is, you know, like, oh, you're not going to share locations. So that means you just want to keep that location to yourself. And like, I can understand how people have that perception. Um, but that's, that's for me personally, that's, that's not my intent. It's, it's like, I will tell somebody that I know that um, about a place that's mm-hmm. maybe not as well known and maybe more sensitive but I would only do so under very specific conditions. Like I know that they're, that they're the kind of person that understands that heavy impact to a location is uh, negative. And they're the right. kind of person that isn't going to go blab about it on social media or tell a bunch of people that they don't trust. So right. what is your counter argument to people that, um, that kind of say, Oh, well you just want that location to yourself. No, I, I, I'm, yeah, I tell people it's not for me. I, I only go to this spot maybe once a year. It's not for myself. It's for the respectful, um, explorers, I guess, you know, the people who aren't going to damage it. It's for the people who, um, who have trust in, in people as well. You know, Yeah. I, I think, I think like uh, there's this cave in Sedona that I actually took my workshop people to and, you know, I tell my people in my workshop, like if we go to a secret, like a location like this, please keep it to, um, you know, the, the location. It's if you know the name of it, you can find it. But if you don't know the name of it, um, you're gonna have a hard time finding it. And I tell people only tell people that you trust and who are respectful. Uh, don't put it on your blog and, and tell people tell the whole world how to find it because guess what? Three months later, it got vandalized. <laughs> um, I know it's going to happen sooner or later, but the longer we can preserve it, the longer more people can enjoy it. The the, the right people. Does that make sense? It does, and I've it's it's such a difficult balance because it is. You know, it like is. as it's so funny because we want through our photography, we want people to see and appreciate these amazing places. Um, because I feel mm-hmm. like if you don't go to a place and and, and see it yourself it's really hard to have a full appreciation of how, how special it is. Um, but on the flip side of that, if, if you're a person that maybe through no fault of your own, like you just don't have the training or haven't been taught like how to um, tread lightly, uh, you're, you're right. going to do more harm than good. And then if, mm-hmm. 
let's just say you have one person on your workshop that um, like they become a, a really good photographer and they want to do workshops and then they start taking a bunch of people there. And then it just, you know, it's like this kind of like snowball effect where maybe 10 people know about it. Now 20 know, now a hundred know, now a thousand know, like it's, and I don't, right. I don't, I'm not saying like, don't take workshop, you know, people to really cool places, but it's like, Oh it's yeah. It's really tough to balance that. Yeah. I, that cave that I was telling you about, um, it's, it's not a, a total secret. I don't take people to like, like that Scorpius arch. That's still pretty secret. There's like a locations like that are still that, that can be found that I will take people to. Sure. Um, but not, not places that aren't known or public, you know, like, I don't know, places I usually have my workshops. So I only take and in full disclosure, I only take my workshop participants to places that are, that have trails and have been geotagged many, many, many times for years and years. Um, but like this arch, I, I won't be taking pe workshop cl clients there. I won't be taking people to um, places that like, just like you said, that could get location could get out some form or, or another. So awesome, dude. Well, I'm, I'm clapping. I don't know if you can hear that, but thank, <laughs> thank you for that because I feel like, you know, that's the responsible thing to do. Like, you know, it's, you know, especially as so, someone like you who's depending their your entire livelihood depends on, you know, photography. So, you know, like you're, you're, right. you're, you're placed into a delicate situation where it's like, I could take people to this unique location and I could make a lot of money. Um, but like, mm -hmm. I think, you're not going to because I think <laughs> I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but Let's I think you understand like knife photography. The so long game you feel about for that is that right now, but, if you take um, a bunch of people there, it's no going to be special for it. You know? Yeah, exactly. And it's not, I wouldn't call it selfish. I would call it preserving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that. Like I know a lot of photographers listening right now are either rolling their eyes or are like, <laughs> yes, Sean Parker is awesome. So thank you for taking yeah. that bold stance. I will. And I've, I've been public about it before about geotagging and yeah, my opinion hasn't changed. Awesome, dude. That's cool. It just, for me personally, it's lost a lot of the, um, a lot, a lot of the appeal that it used to have for me. I used to be so excited mm -hmm. to go shoot night photos. Um, and I would do like six to 10 like a month and then yeah and now it's like maybe twice a year i'll like dedicate some time to do it because it's you know because i'll oh man <laughs> you really lost interest <laughs> yeah i don't know if it's i don't know it's just uh, yeah i don't know like it's weird what do you how it's not the saturation it's not the saturation for me that's done it it's the composites Ooh. really um <laughs> I, 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 yeah, let's get into that. Um, <laughs> yes, let's. I, I, I don't, for the record, I don't mind composites, but I will say that people are putting, putting like the Milky Way over a, a spot or a composition that just can't be done has really, and you know, cause like these, these composites are so well done that there's like no noise. It's sharp as hell and it just can't be done. And a lot of people think it can, and it's setting this, the standard of, how night images should look, but it's just not there yet for those who are like, like me who try to get every shot in one single shot right. or a focus <laughs> stack or something, you know? Um, I, I, it's like, I see this shot of like the Milky Way over like this 
uh, Joshua Tree and the guy says he got it in one shot. I'm like, no, you didn't. It's two total different focal lengths, and you're you know you're kind of setting an example of how these sometimes these should look at. But what you should be doing is telling people how you did it and be maybe more educational about it instead of just getting away with these composites that just can't be done. So. <laughs> I was going to ask you um, what your thought was on um, that aspect of it. Cause I've dabbled in composites. Um, I think they can be artistic and um, they can be, I don't know, like, yeah, they can look they're They're they can be really cool. Um, and unfortunately for me, like some of my best selling photographs are composites, which sucks, but, um, but so I'm going to read a description of one of my composites I recently created to you. And I, and you tell me if you think like, if you feel like that's, it's fair or, or like it passes your, whatever test you have in your mind as a photographer. Cause I have, cause I think we all, I think we all <laughs> have one. Like, like there, you know, everyone, it ranges from like, I don't care to like very, very anal. So like, but here's mine. So mm. I said, in this artistic interpretation of one of my favorite locations in the San Juan Mountains of Colorado, I blended two panoramic images together to create an interpretation of an alternate reality. This scene cannot and does not exist in reality. The Milky Way could never arc above this mountain range in autumn in this fashion. Wilson Peak, Lizardhead Peak, and the Ice Lake Basin 13ers, blah, blah, blah. So, like, I was very specific. Like, this could never, ever, ever happen in reality. Like, do you think that's okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find my... I'm trying to find my... my my ham horn there it is that, <laughs> that's how you should be saying it like that's how i mean you basically said in, in almost every way that it's a fake image um and it's a digital it's a digital yeah. interpretation of what you wanted and and a lot of people are won't you, you could have said it more ways than than one so <laughs> you, you perfect you passed Awesome. Yeah. So I, I feel like you and me are probably in the very same camp. Like it's funny at the beginning of the podcast, we were talking about like the community and how tight it is and, you know, not being controversial. I think you said you try to not have no drama. Yeah. I got into a very, very heated uh, conversation publicly with um, someone who openly composites all the time and isn't very forthcoming in their disclosures of like how the image was created or things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, like, it's funny because as night photographers, like we see stuff all the time. We're like that, that's not real, man. You know, cause you've yeah. been to those places yeah. and you, you just know like that there's no way you did that. Um, and I started yeah, noticing there's no way the Milky way lines up I, that way. Or yeah. I started noticing like, every single image this particular individual posted like every milky way had the exact same air glow like the exact same like ad, like there was just too much about it it was like that's literally the same uh tracked milky way used over and over and over again and it just yep. pissed me off i don't know why it pissed me off i should maybe i shouldn't care like it's like let that guy do what he does right but it just bothered me yeah like do you get bothered too? Like, and how do you cope with that? Like, what is your, cause uh, I struggle all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I have, I, I think I've just learned how to kind of just put it past me and just, you know, it's, it's too far. I feel like it's too far. We've, we're too far into it now where I can get mad at, at 
<laughs> it's like it hasn't worked in the past of so me getting mad. It's not going to work anymore. But I will say like how I deal with it is I just ask them the question like like dude this is a great uh, 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 what do you call it great blend or something. Can you tell everyone a little bit more about it so they they know what's real or if it's real or not or something like that. You know just to kind of ask them publicly to respond if it's real or not. You know since you're not going to put it in the caption. Um, and have you found that people are receptive to that? No, I've, I I think people probably think that Sean's like a hater on composites or something, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a hater. I I just as long as it's said and you know that the Milky Way was could not have been possible, but this is a shot I've been envisioning, and I traveled all the way to get it, and it was either clouded out or something, and I I put the sky in from a different time of day or different. I'm totally cool with it. I think it's digital art at that point, but yeah. Um, I don't know. It's I, I've, I've learned how to cope with it. That I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one of the funny thing, cause I've written a lot about this topic cause it's bothered me so much. That I just, I just decided to write this huge long article about it. And um, one of the things that I've noticed and recognized over time and studying this, cause I'm just a nerd, I guess, <laughs> but is is that on the large most people that um aren't photographers and um are maybe in the market to purchase prints i would say 95% of those people don't care at all that it's not no, real you know like they don't care and even if you tell them i mean i tell all of my buyers like by the way this is not real mm -hmm. you know and like literally, like they're like, I don't care. It, it, I just love it. It just, you know, it for whatever. It I mean, just, it's perfect. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like they just love it, and like they don't care that it's not real. So I guess my, my, my question is, if 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 the, the people that we're trying to sell our images to, don't care that it's fake, why not just tell people it's fake, like? There's no reason not to. I, I think they think it devalues their work if they say it's fake, if it if the truth came out. And it probably would. I don't know, but I don't it depends. Are you a digital artist? Or are you a are you a photographer? Like a you know what I mean? It's Yeah. You, you could be both, but you just you have to say it. Yeah, I mean I'm both and I'm not a good digital artist, but like <laughs> I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest, like some of these guys out there, like they're very good at it and that's super cool. Like, like I'm not trying yeah. to knock you down, but like when you present it as photography, I personally don't feel like that's, um, I just don't think that's an accurate way to portray your work. It's digital art and it's very good and it's awesome and people will buy the shit out of it, but right. don't mix it in with stuff that is, um, Maybe a little bit straighter, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, it's funny. I don't know if you you probably haven't listened to the Aaron Babnick, Alex Nail episode of my podcast, but um, just listening to your thoughts on this, I think you would really enjoy it. <laughs> okay, um, I'll check it out. Yeah, because we I like Aaron's work. Oh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She has great work, and um, we we just did like a debate style um, and on this topic. So I think you would really like it. <laughs> Cool. I'll check, it, I'll check it out too. And, and the other ones we talked about earlier. Cool, man. Well, we could probably talk about this particular topic for like 
10 hours um which which, which, <laughs> we, don't, which we don't have so no. if it's cool with you i want to get into listener questions yeah dude let's do it okay so this one took me from left field because obviously i don't stalk you um as much as this particular individual does uh <laughs> shout out to brian drower he wants to know do you still use an lg tv <laughs> i don't know what that means <laughs> all right so um i did this really big project and i, I wish we got into it um but i did this really big project for my lg um basically found my nighttime photography and they thought it really went well hand in hand with their new LG TV OLED TV that was coming out. Like I think it was like, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I landed one of my biggest commercial jobs ever after they sent me this free TV. <laughs> and it was probably the coolest experience I've ever had still in my career today. So Dude, um, I can't believe Brian, you didn't bring that up when we started talking about commercial jobs. <laughs> I know. Well, that wasn't, we were talking more about tourism and like brands. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this one was more like uh, LG wanting to promote their new TV and me shooting time-lapse in Iceland for it. So I was going to talk about it in the time-lapse portion, but I think I rambled too much. I'm sorry. but um, I, I probably cut you off because I do that. We, uh, I am still using it, the same exact TV. It's a 4K OLED instead of an 8K. So uh, if LG is listening, I would love an upgrade. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a really good TV. It's 4k perfect blacks, contrast ratio, sharpness, saturation is really nice. So how did, how did that, how did that, um, how did that come about in terms of, um, you like, did they use your photography to promote the product? Yeah. So basically they found my work <sighs> on Instagram and they said, Sean, we love your nighttime photography. Can we send you this TV and um, can you give us your thoughts on it? And I'm like, yeah, uh, overnight it. Come on. <laughs> I'll be waiting. Um, I thought it was a joke mail at first, but it was actually LG right? from South Korea. They, they shipped me a TV from Seoul. It was crazy. Um, Seoul, Seoul. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, I think Seoul is right. Yeah, yeah. I think Seoul, yeah. And basically it turned into, well, Sean, can we can we uh, send you to, at first they wanted to send me to um, Yellowknife to film the aurora and i was like how about iceland it's much more beautiful and um what was supposed to be like a one-man job turned into a whole production team to me shooting on uh what was it 14 sony a7r3s to for this like what 40 tv 40 tv display <laughs> what yeah it was like a it was like 120k resolution um <laughs> yeah Dude. It, was, it was insane it was, it was their biggest they're probably their biggest campaign ever too. And I was uh, a DP for it. So it was really cool to, to get that. <laughs> um, so can you give me a link to like the outcome of that? Like, is there a video or something that exists that kind of showcases the, the work product? Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it was like, they did a whole film on it of me like shooting for it and Sick. a huge concert. It was in Reykjavik. It was like the biggest local bands, played what? there and and basically the project i was working on and shooting with has the work is displayed behind the artist from or the bands and it's pretty dude sweet. yeah we'll, we'll put that in the liner notes for the podcast because i that sounds amazing yeah i i uh i just dp'd on it so i didn't have to do any of the actual renderings I, first of all my computer couldn't do it but i just uh i helped right? with it and set it up and you know it was awesome it was really Damn. cool to see it all come to life that's so, so cool. 
I'm just I'm just waiting for my next LG project because I mean that that project was so big and so cool that I want to do another one. So awesome, man! I'm so jealous. That sounds so fun. Like, ugh. So cool. Yeah, dude. I, I cried. Dude. I cried. I was like, I called my mom and I was like, Mom, I'm going to Iceland. I've been wanting to go for years and years, and um, I'm going. And what what it was supposed to be one trip has now led it led into three for filming, and then one for the fun, like for the for the uh, concert. And now I've been back four times since. So I've been to Iceland seven times, and now I'm really familiar with the country, and I lead workshops there too. So. It's a beautiful country. Yeah. I, I went there for the first time uh, last March. Oh, you did? Yeah. Nice. That's a good time yeah, to go. Yeah, it was awesome. I loved it. Do you see the Northern Lights? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You were, you were talking, and uh, we were talking about Joshua Snow before we recorded because I think he's in Iceland right now. And yeah, he is. He's like, <laughs> I, don't, I feel like every day he has like the most epic uh, aurora. And I'm like, Fuck you. He's Josh. had a good run. <laughs> yeah, he's had a, he's been pretty blessed. <laughs> yeah, no, I um I got lucky. So um I so like the first few days was not so good, but then I had like five straight days of Aurora and it was awesome. So yeah, it was good. It was good. It was good. It's um, only gonna get better. The solar max is coming back, I, I guess, or something. There's something about oof. yeah, how we hit like a, a low and now it's building back up. So nice. So beautiful. Okay, well let's um shit let's uh yeah dude so brian who i guess is like uh your fanboy he my biggest know... stalker <laughs> <laughs> i love brian he's a great dude just kidding brian just kidding great brian. dude he's... um he wants to know what camera system you're shooting with and your what what is your favorite uh what are your favorite lenses for astrophotography oh great question and i think my answer is going to surprise a lot of people um I'm still for Astro. I'm rocking the Sony A7S II. Mm. Uh, it's it's still it still kicks ass. Um, the only problem I have with it after using all the newer cameras is the resolution. Um, right. I'm barely getting. Or I'm, I am getting 4K, but that's that's it. So printing big and that's pretty much it. That's the only downside is is the printing size. I can't go a bit much bigger than like 36 inches. Um, right, without, right. Without a lot of work. Um, and I'm still rocking the Canon 6D for for landscape for time lapse, um, and yeah, I, solid system, man. Yeah, if it's it's that 6D, I must have like a quarter million shutters on it and <laughs> zero hiccups. And um, I'm kind of in between brands right now. I I really want to switch completely over to either Sony or Nikon. Canon, in my opinion, just isn't keeping up. Right. And well, at least for what I do, and I've rented the this a7 r3 and i've borrowed my friend's d850 and uh, they're both so good i just uh, i don't know what i want yeah dude they are and yeah i, sh I shoot the uh a7r2 okay um um and i feel like a7r2 is basically an a7r3 with worse batteries yeah i mean honestly <laughs> pretty much and um and i i have a workaround that i use for that i i, I take a uh, external battery with me in the field and like if I'm going to do long exposures or if I need to charge I just use it and it's mm -hmm. fine yeah but um, you know it's funny you talk about resolution so I actually have seen some testing done between the F7S A7S2 and the A7R2 in terms of like once you um, like 
apply all of your noise reduction and all that, like basically they perform almost identically in terms of uh, dynamic range and long exposure night photography. Interesting. Um, and I've done a, I've done a lot of night photography on the A7R2, um, and I can attest, it's freaking awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. really good, and you have resolution, so I feel like it's a really. I'll, although I have seen people use the A7S2, um, and like you can do some really cool stuff with it that you can't do um, with an A7R2. So I don't. I feel like it depends if you're doing video or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's definitely about if you're doing video. And to be honest, I've, I've done side-by-side -side comparisons with an A7R3 and my A7S2. And I can, you could push those shadows up in night photography way more on the S2 than you can with the R3. So I think interesting those, those comparisons for noise all depend on your editing style. Um, okay, I, that makes sense. I definitely have it switched because of, of how, how much I can push my A7S2. Um, I... I don't know. I've I've tried both. I've I've done even the A7 III, which is still better at night photography <laughs> than the R3 and the R2, but it's still not as good as the S2. But you you sacrifice resolution, you know. Right. Um. And so, what about glass? Like, what kind of glass are you using right now? Because yeah. I'm I use a <clears throat> so for the A7 R2, um, I do a lot of backpacking, so I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, weird man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but I, um, for a minute, I was using a the twelve to twenty four f four, and I just like the f four, so um, I picked up a Leowa um, fifteen millimeter f two, which is all manual focus, all manual aperture, and I really like it. Um, okay, and it's really small and it accepts like seventy seven or seventy two millimeter filters, and I like that. But that's pretty good. Yeah. Um. I like for probably 80% of my photography career, I was using the Nikon 14 to 24, which yeah. I still consider to be probably one of the best um, astro landscape photography lenses you can own. So what it is. Yeah. So what do you use? <laughs> um, I, I love my Tamron 15 to 30 F 2.8. That's probably my go-to lens. Uh, every chance I get um, solid. Yeah. yeah, it's such a solid lens. It's the only the only thing it doesn't have on on the Iowa or whatever that brand was. Um, it doesn't have the filtered thread, right? So you have to find, and it's so heavy, but it's the the quality is worth it. Um, before that, I was using the Canon sixteen to thirty five L two two point eight. Yeah, um, which was really good for 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 its time. They just came out with that three, which is sharper, like completely sharp edge to edge, but it's. Um, it's 16 and after shooting like 14 and 15 you you can really tell a difference even though a lot of people like will say it, you can't tell but it oh, i can it can't you can definitely tell it's that one millimeter is big yeah because i uh, use a i also use a 21 millimeter prime which i really like yeah. it's awesome lens but for um astro it's really tough yeah it's it just depends on your shooting style i've been really in, really into shooting at like 24 to 30 lately um so that's why, <laughs> right. I love, that's why i love that tamron 15 to 30 because it it's it's sharp yeah. all the way through it's even for video it's really good because it's like the only 2.8 aperture lens underneath 16 millimeters that has um image stabilizer yeah which is crazy and it has autofocus it's just a really solid lens edge to edge and 
a lot of lenses that are like 15 or 14, you have to crop in. So that's why people are like, oh, it doesn't matter because you have to crop in. But the Sigma 14 to 24 is really good too. The 2.8, I think it's yep, just as yep. sharp as the Nikon and it's also cheaper. And it's heavier though. It's heavier. It is heavier. Yeah. And uh-huh. the, four, the 14 1.8 is or 1.4 or 1.8 yeah 14 1.8 is really solid too so yeah i looked into getting that i was like drilling over it and then i was like oh that weighs like two pounds i don't yeah no i'm good (laughs) that's why that's why i went with the uh the 15 f2 because um i don't know like i said i do a lot of backpacking and like the weight of my kit is important to me um so i i don't know i you know you sacrifice a little bit of uh you know Wait yeah for and focal length you sacrifice a little focal length you fac- sacrifice just a little bit of um um op- you know like f-stop but mm, it's like half the weight <laughs> yeah i need to i need to check that lens out i you know i'm getting um i just recovered from a really bad back injury a couple years ago and oh wow okay my back is like, you know, it's sore almost every time I backpack or like go shooting. So I, I am looking into the lighter solutions, which is why I'll probably go Sony. Mm-hmm. Um, and also if Sony's listening, uh, shout out. <laughs> I would love a sponsor. Uh, so um, would Matt Payne. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and maybe other listeners. <laughs> um, but I, I think I'm going to go with them just because of the their, their lightweight um mirrorless system so yeah it's funny i actually have a whole blog post and it's funny dude i i so i'm a i'm a i'm a nerd i'll just admit it i'm a geek i created this insane um excel spreadsheet with like lookup tables and based on focal length and brand um to help you determine what kit to use and what lenses to take uh, based on weight and price um i'll link it in the liner notes but like it's i don't know like every ounce counts when you're when you're traveling like 20 25 30 miles like you don't want to be carrying 10 15 20 pounds of camera weight you know and i've got i've gotten my kit down like if i want to go bare bones i can get i can i can do a long backpack trip with like 25 30 pounds with camera gear which is pretty remarkable for like a multi-day backpacking trip yeah um and I think yeah. it's, I'm really excited that like Canon and Nikon are like entering this arena too, because, you know, like before high tides rises all boats. So, um, you know, like, I feel like it's great that Nikon <laughs> is also starting to really get serious about mirrorless. I think um, Canon has kind of dipped their toes in it a bit because I think they see the future. Like DSLRs are kind of going the way of the dinosaur a little bit in terms of like, so I'm excited, man. And yeah. Yeah, if you ever want to like chat about uh, Sony stuff, let me know because like I have spent probably way too much time researching this stuff. It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's awesome, though. I, I'm definitely interested in seeing that Excel sheet, and uh, I'm trying to get more <laughs> into like. So I just bought a, a new Toyota 4Runner, and I want to like go out to places where you just yeah, can't go too, with a, a, a normal like SUV. So I. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to because I think nowadays everyone's photographing a lot of these yeah, known these known places. So what you have to do now is even hike further. You have to go further and you have to be lighter and you have to. Yeah, so man, you, you got to differentiate yourself somehow, right? Yeah. I mean, that's so what I've I, done. Like I also <laughs> last year I bought a 
Toyota Forerunner that's lifted, and I have a rooftop tent, and like, Sweet. like I'm, dude, I'm, it's awesome to hear you say that. Like, it kind of validates <laughs> validates where I'm headed too, because um, I feel like like that's the future of photography. You know, like you have to go to these on, you know, you have to do it. It's yeah, it's because you know, like I like just to dab on it, double a little bit more on it is you know, a lot of these trails will take you right up to the places and it's photographed to, sh to shit. I mean, it's like yeah. everyone has a shot now, but if you have an off-road vehicle that, that more than half the people in the world don't have, you're going to be able to go that extra mile with your photography and everyone's going to ask you, where'd you get it? Where'd you get it? And that's where you kind of say, well, you gotta have to, gotta have upgrade your car first, <laughs> you know? Yeah, man. So Well, shit, dude, we, we don't live that far apart. We should, we should definitely like plan like a trip to like, do this dude i'm Let's trying to get to colorado more and i'm really wanting to get into you like uh, moab and Kanab just a little bit more so that's kind of our half yeah man point. so let's let's do it I've, i'm in <laughs> sounds good well dude we we've crushed the cup podcast like covered so many topics i know so, we're like an hour and hour and a half in or hour and a quarter yeah man so like who would you who would you love my listeners to hear about on the podcast like who are some people that might be off the radar or that you think people should know about in terms of like being inspired and just want to people that you want to hear from yourself oh man that's a good question there's so many good photographers out there um i think the first name that comes to mind uh because i know that one of your biggest questions was about like um tourism and branding and stuff like that um Andrew Studer, uh, who's an amazing photographer and just visual artist, uh, he would be a good guy to reach out to. Um, I got to, yeah. I got to meet him in in Banff on a Dell campaign with Colby Brown. Uh, awesome. And, and I learned a lot about commercial and stuff from. So I think he would be able to help your listeners out more about that. Um, as far as like time lapse and shooters. Uh, I know you wanted to talk more about storm chasing, but we didn't have enough time. But uh, one of the idols I look up to is Michael Binsky. He's a he's a legend when it comes to chasing storms, and you've probably seen his work in Thor and uh, all these other movies with the storms in them. So he'd be a good one. Uh, night photographers, I don't know. There's just so many. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly. Yeah, that's awesome. I think I love more more names will come to me, and I'll I'll send you an email and recommend some people. Sweet. Dude, this has been so fun. Like, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Like, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, dude. I, I'm so glad I haven't done a podcast in years. And this has probably like been the most comfortable and relaxed podcast I've been on. And you've you've already had some of my favorite photographers on, so I'm just glad to be a part of it. Oh, well, thank you, Sean, for taking the time to come with us on the podcast. Um Thanks to all the other guests as well. We can't do the podcast without guests, so you guys are awesome. You can see examples of Sean's amazing photography and links to all of the topics that we discussed over on my totally awesome brand new website, thanks to Jack Brower, at www.mattpainphotography.com. If you would enjoyed our talk, there's a little bit more over on Patreon, so check it out. So next week, uh, we sit down with New Zealand-based photographer William Patino. Uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, we learn all about his story, his passion for wilderness, 
and how he shoots without a tripod as a landscape photographer, which I think is fascinating, honestly. Um, and I want to take a moment to uh, to thank our newest patrons for the podcast, and I also want to extend an inv- invitation to anyone who has either signed up as a patron or is going to sign up in the future. Uh, please feel free to leave a comment on the community board for the podcast over on Patreon, which is at uh, patreon.com slash fstopandlisten. Um, I will share your comment with the podcast listeners. Really, it can be anything. I want to give back to you um, to thank you for giving to me. So if you want me to talk about something you've got going on, let me know. So with that being said, thanks to Mark Klafschenkel, who pledged in at the $10 a month level. Thank you so much, Mark. And thanks to Stephen DeRoche, who is uh, coming in at the dollar a month level. Uh, that really helps a lot. So thank you so much. Well, if you want to leave comments about the episode, head over to the liner notes um, or uh, engage with us on social media. You can find the podcast pretty much everywhere as F-Stop and Listen or F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, all that fun stuff as Matt Payne Photo or Matt Payne Photography. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week for episode 97 with William Patino.